With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the Coffee Clatch. Michael, are you on the air? Yes, I am. Terrific. Uh, welcome to the Coffee Clatch. This is Marianne Russo. We have a special edition of Blog Talk Radio this morning. Um, I thought this was just too important to um, have it get lost in a chat. Um, my guest today is Michael Domertz. He is the founder of the Date Safe Project, and he helps parents throughout the United States and Canada and families in the military gain skills and tools for helping their children to make safer choices surrounding their bodies, sexuality, and safety. Um, he's also the author of the DVD, Help, My Teen is Dating. And for anyone with a teen, uh, we need help when our teens are dating. So today we will be discussing um, how to get our teens to make the right dating decisions, um, how to talk to our teens and get them to be open with us, and um, then Mike is going to tell us the biggest mistake we make when we speak to our children about sex. So welcome, Mike Domritz. How are you? Oh, thank you for having me on. I'm doing great. Terrific. Um, you know, I thought maybe you would start off by telling us a little bit about yourself, about the Date Safe Project, and how you got involved in all of this. Yes, uh, the Date Safe Project is an organization that works with schools, parents, students, and the U.S. military on addressing those difficult, uncomfortable conversations about sexual decision-making, boundaries, respect. It can be abstinence, it can be comprehensive sex ed, and then into the dangerous side of what happens when things go wrong, sexual assault, and how to support survivors of sexual assault. And the reason this whole workout started was Back in 1989, I was a college student, and I received a phone call that my sister had been raped. And at that moment, I just didn't know what to do, how to react. There wasn't a lot of information out there on dating violence or healthy dating. It really wasn't discussed in schools at the time. And so as I started to deal with my own sister's attack and rape and then try to figure out what I could do to make a difference, I had heard a speaker. And I realized, you know what, I can speak out. And so it all started from that motivation, 1989, my sister's strength and courage as a survivor is what really got me into talking about these issues at the beginning. So it started from a place of pain and very angry and became a place of where we use actually a lot of humor, a lot of interaction to engage parents and students today. It's definitely grown throughout the years. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear about your sister. I mean, you know, uh, it, it's, a, it's a parent's and a you know, family member's worst nightmare. Um, you know, what you've done is really incredible because, as I said, you, you travel and you speak to um, schools and parents and um, the military. And, you know, where do you think most of the teens get their information on sex from? Are they speaking with their parents? No, they're not. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that parents aren't talking to them. Uh, there are parents out there that try to engage their teens, and there are some who are very successful at it. What we find in schools is that the students overwhelmingly tell us 
that those conversations with their parents are awkward if they're having a conversation at all. Often they're being told, don't do, you know, which a lot of us had growing up. You know, don't do this, don't do that, wait till this, wait till that. And what parents forget to talk about is what can you do? What is okay? And if you, these things are okay, how do you handle them? How do you talk about this with a partner? How do you talk about this for yourself? And so what we tend to do is things like be a gentleman, be a lady. But what does that mean? You know, you're not giving students skills when you say be a gentleman. We think, well, yes, I am. That's telling them do the right thing. But, the, but what is the right thing? You know, if you're in that moment and you're 16 and you're alone with somebody and things feel a certain way, in your head you're saying this feels like the right thing, even though right. it might not be. And so it's giving us so much more skills to these teens than simply saying do good, do right, be respectful. It's going way past that and giving direct skills, both for parents and teens, to be able to engage in these conversations. You well, at what, at what age do you do you think a parent should start discussing um, even just the, the very basics in general um, aspects of relationships and dating and kissing? And then at what age should you really have that sit down? Well, if it really I mean, should yeah. even be a sit down. I mean, for myself, I've never with any of my kids had a we have to sit down. It's always just been part of conversation. But at what age do you think that that's yeah. important to start? Well, you make a good point there. First of all, whenever you have a talk, you're going to get the wall. And that means when you say let's sit down and talk, the kid's wall shoots up, right. that barrier of, oh, no, here goes a lecture. Every teenager, preteen knows it. You know, let's, we need to come into the family room. We need to come in. They know those moments mean, oh, here goes a lecture. That's what most kids assume just by history. And so the answer to the question of what is the right age is a recent article which came out, and it's going to answer the last two questions in one, actually. You said, where do they get this information and what's the right age? And what they found was that most teens are getting their information from Google, from the Internet. Now, stop and think about when are they oh probably doing that. That's not well, good. If, if they're doing it, no, it's not. And if they're doing that via Internet or the Google, it's probably not when they're a teen. It's probably before they're a teen. And so the worst thing parents can do is think in their mind, I'm going to wait until my child's in that relationship level or situation. Because by the time you know, they've probably already been investigating. And even if they haven't, they have peers back in school at any grade, by the way, talking about these things. So you now have a choice as a parent. You have to say, do I want my child to learn this from a first or second grader who starts to begin talking about kissing and dating somebody? Or do I want them to learn from me? And I know parents out there probably think, what do you mean first or second grade? I guarantee you that in every first or second grade, in every school in this country, some kid during the course of the year says, I love Susie, or Susie says, I love Johnny. And, and of course, everybody out there is going, well, that's harmless. It can be. But then they'll do, and I can't wait to kiss her, or I can't wait to kiss him. And they may even say, someday we're going to have sex, because they've heard the words. It's right. on TV like it's nothing. So you've got to start thinking, when are they in an environment where any of this could be exposed to them? And that's going to be a much younger age. And, and that, you, you said a very important thing, that it's nothing today. I mean, it really right. is. I mean, the videos, um, you know, I, you go to take your daughter to buy shorts. And, I mean, I, I, I defy you to, <laughs> to find something that's more than an inch. I mean, it's all Daisy Dukes that, you know, it, it, the role models today are just really creating havoc for us parents to have, um, you know, 
these conversations with our kids. Well, you know, and the clothes are a great example of conversation that you, that you could actually reverse what a lot of people would do. A lot of parents will see the shorts and they'll say, you would never wear that, right, because you don't want to portray yourself as. And then they do a fill-in-the-blank of sort of slutty. They'll use these kind of words. Well, what they've done accidentally is they've added to the culture and atmosphere of blaming the daughter or the survivor for what Mm -hmm. the other person does to them. So a a real gift parents can give to themselves is when they are in the store and they see those shorts, instead of in any way saying what they think of it, ask their child what they think of the shorts. What do you think of those shorts? And do it very nonchalant. What do you think of those shorts? Oh, I love them. Why? Why? Everybody wears them. They're cool. They look sharp. What do you think about what they say? Uh, All right. Well, how do you think that those shorts, what they reflect about you compared to those? you got to be very careful when you go to what do you reflect on you. Because once again, instead what we want them to be is, do you think that some girls get, like when they wear that stuff, people think they're slutty or they're trashy? Now if your daughter says yes, what we want to be able to say, isn't that a shame? Isn't that a shame that because of what somebody wears, somebody will disrespect them, dishonor their body, be cruel to them, mean to them? I think that's awful, don't you? And put the source of blame where we need it to be on. And that is the person doing the wrong in these situations, who then turns and blames the girl for wearing those shorts is why they did it, versus you did it, you're responsible. So it's, it's, it, I'm glad you brought up the clothing thing because there's a lot of things parents struggle with is they don't want their kids to wear that stuff, so they just say, here's all the wrong in wearing that, instead of saying maybe the wrong is how we blame clothing instead of blaming the people who are doing wrong. Well, I'm glad I asked you that question because I think I got this wrong. <laughs> Just recently, you know, I had I was in this situation and, you know, I said to my daughter, I said, you know, well, um, we were talking about another child and I said, well, unfortunately, I said, she's a really sweet girl. She's a really nice girl. But the way she dresses gives the wrong impression of her. Um, you know, and that probably wasn't the right, right. thing to say. Okay, yeah, I have to correct that. that. Well, what's, what's neat about what you just said is we've all said the wrong thing. Everybody, right. experts, me, you, everybody. And the difference is recognizing what we said that was wrong and what it could have cost. And so because what can happen is now our daughter one day when we're not around, oh, she goes and, and buys those shorts. Or she gets a few more years older and she goes buys seductive underwear, sexy underwear. And something wrong happens on that date. She blames herself for wearing the clothing instead of saying that person who did that to me, that was wrong. And so that's what we have to remember as parents. What's going to be the long-term effect of those those comments, especially towards females where we have such an unfair double standard of being having a sexual being? You know, if you're a female and you're a sexual being, there's so many negative words for you. And if you're a male and you're a sexual being, there's so many positive. So as parents, we've got to be conscious of avoiding falling into that trap. Okay. Well, I'm going to correct myself today, that's for sure. Um, But, you know, we're we're talking a lot of times when we talk about um, teen sex, we talk about um, the girls and we talk about, um, you know, keeping them safe. But you don't hear that many conversations. You know, we talk about safe sex because, you know, realistically, if there's a parent out there that thinks that their teen isn't interested in sex, that isn't going to have sex, you need to pull your head out of the sand. Um, So it's always better safe than sorry. But um, 
you know, that's why they had said the um, abstinence did not work when that was being uh, taught to teens. So um, how do we have the conversations with our sons? Yes, it's a great question. And I work with agencies who are abstinence only, and I work with agencies who are comprehensive sex ed. So we, we do work from both sides of, of the equation. And like you said, either way you have to be prepared for your child making a decision you don't agree with right. or you wouldn't have done. You've got to be in that world. And talking to sons and daughters is key that it happens for both. So let's go with how do we engage with our sons. Well, when you talk to parents and they hear you have sons, people love to tell you you're so lucky you have boys because it's so much more difficult with girls. And you ask them, well, why do you believe that? Well, when my daughter's out there, I have to worry what somebody's going to do to them. And uh, you don't have to worry about that. I think, well, that, that, that may be true, although you do have to worry. There are boys who are assaulted. There are boys who are mistreated in unhealthy relationships. So that is, even is a myth. But I said, you're right, but what if you thought your child did that to another human being? They're like, well, that would be hard for me to look in the mirror because I would think, what did I do wrong as a parent? Correct. And when somebody does it to your child, your focus is on how could somebody hurt my child? You know, how could somebody, when your child does it, it becomes, oh, my gosh, how they did the wrong. And in many ways it can be just as frightening, if not more. So talking to boys and girls about both sides of the discussion become critically important. And how do you respect? So now you, you sit down your son or your daughter and you say, if you wanted to be intimate with somebody, how would you, how would you get things started? How would you find out what they wanted? How would you find out what they're comfortable with? What if they said no to you? Do you think you'd be able to handle that? What would you, how would you handle the no? Because, see, a lot of times with, with teenagers, we give them the best-case scenario and tell them that's how life works. So we'll do this. We'll say, you know, you should really ask someone for a kiss. It's really respectful. They're always going to love it, which, by the way, they're right in that it's always respectful. But they could go on a date, and they could say, may I kiss you? And the person across from me could go, are you an idiot? Are you totally an idiot for asking me? I mean, if you don't know, obviously, then it's, you, you shouldn't be kissing me. Well, now you made it sound like it was going to be fairy tale dust when they said, can I kiss you? And the kiss was going to magically happen, and it doesn't. And they do this. They go, oh, they have no idea what they're talking about when they told me to ask. This is humiliating. Right. And so there's a lot of peer pressure, too. Right. Yeah, yeah. So what we want to do is we want to say, here's how to ask. And if you get to know, if things go bad, here's how to handle it. And be so specific in how to handle that that the teenager goes, well, geez, I could do that. So much to the point that they actually want to try it now because you gave them all the right tools that they're going, all right, I want to give this a shot. And that's what we see happening when we're in a school and we're giving the Can I Kiss You presentation. And we'll first come in and students will hear it's about asking. You can hear that mumbling, nobody's going to ask. Asking is the dumbest thing. And you'll hear this amongst the males and the females. You'll get into the show. You'll role play two students on stage asking for a kiss. You'll hear awes in the room. Then we'll role play the no, and people are laughing. But when the, the partner handles the no, the person who says no, they handle it well, the audience is like, wow, that is awesome. And they'll even be like, I can't wait to try this. And we'll get students contacting us after the event saying, this totally works. Because once they see the good and the bad, they realize, I can do this. So as parents, one of the greatest gifts we can give our kids is give them the positive scenario and the negative. If you can show them that the negative scenario can end up positive, 
they will no longer fear the negative. And they and you know, they will no longer fear the no. And, you know, I think that we need to bring it up a notch because, you know, I think that we're talking about a kiss, um, you know. But in reality, what we're talking about, unfortunately, in very young teens, tweens, 12, 13 years old, rainbow parties where oral sex is given and, and, and instead of, you know, they used to be spin the bottle. You know, it's not a kiss anymore. Um, sexting, orgies, you know, inappropriate um, public um, sexual activities. This is what's going on all the time. So, you know, how do we have those conversations? I think that's one of the blocks. You know, when you're talking about a kiss, I think parents have a comfort zone. But when you need to start talking about oral sex, when you need to start talking about group sex and sexting, parents get uncomfortable. Yeah, there's a couple things. First, a little good news. The rainbow parties, the orgy-like behavior isn't as common as the media has portrayed it to be. When you're in the schools working with students, and even the research out there that has shown it, NBC did this big special about a year and a half ago. But when you really looked at their numbers that they actually end up showing at the end, they were, they were not anywhere near, anywhere near the majority of teens experiencing those kind of extreme situations. We, so have, we, have, we have a big problem with it here where I live. Yeah, and so it does depend on the community, as I was just going to say. It really depends on once it has it gotten started there, and if it does, has it been ended quickly? And if not, then it can grow. And that's what's going to be my point. So it does depend on the community. How do you talk about it? First of all, you do have to start, start at the kiss level. Because if you can't even talk to your kids about that and you jump right into the serious stuff, it's going to be awkward. Right. So you start with the, the kissing and then you go, and, and by the way, you earlier said something really good about not having the talk. All of this should be spread out. So one day I'm talking to you about how to ask for a kiss. The next day is going to be, or a week later, is going to be when I'm going to take this conversation to the next level. I'm not going to jump in an hour talk, unless my kid loves diving in and talking like that. But a lot of kids don't want more than five minutes. Uh, so I'm not going to put it all in one conversation. But I start with a kiss. My next one might be, all right, uh, you know, the other week we talked about if somebody asked for a kiss. What about more than a kiss? How would you talk about that? And they'd be like, well, what do you mean? Well, what would be more than a kiss? What are things you hear students say? Not that what you're, you have to tell me what your friends are doing, but what are things you hear about on, in the movies uh, and those situations? And then you can bring them up. You can say, well, I've heard of some, if they go, well, nothing. Go, well, I've heard in the news about, and you share. Because if you think you've heard about the news and you think they've heard it, you're not giving them more information. You're reacting to information they already know. They're just not admitting it. Uh, and now you bring up like the rainbow party. And here's the key. You ask them why you think people make those decisions. If you don't ask why they think it's happening, they now know you're about to tell them why it's happening, and it becomes a lecture. And I'll give you a great example. It was Britney Spears' sister several years ago now, just a couple of years ago, uh, got pregnant. And I remember asking some of my sons what they heard at school. And they said that an adult had said, that's why you wait till you're married. And they were at the time 12 years old. And they laughed because they said, like I'm thinking of being married when I'm 12. Why would that in any way relate to me, that comment? You know what I mean? How does that relate to me? So I said, okay, good point. Why do you think she might have made that choice? And now we get interesting questions. Well, maybe she thought she loved the person. Maybe she thought it would be fun. Maybe she thought it would make her more popular. Now, by me reacting to these comments made by them, it's a conversation because they made the comment. 
So now right. I'm just engaging with what they're saying. It's not a lecture. And now I even said to them, all right, let's say that were to happen to you. How would you feel? Would you want to be a father at 12, 13 years old, 14? No way. Well, why not? And they said, because I, have, I love being with my friends. I like being involved in sports. I like doing this and that. I couldn't do all of that if I had it. And I said, well, that's really smart thinking. And now it's not a lecture at all. I'm just endorsing what they're already thinking, which, by the way, they're usually thinking the right thing. It's just they don't get right. those thoughts. They don't get those thoughts endorsed enough. So when their friends give negative thoughts and that does get endorsed, they start to put their own thoughts that are positive, that are right, in the background and start to let the other thoughts come to the foreground because friends are supporting those negative thoughts, like getting involved at too young of an age. Right. So I think, you know, a... Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, I think a lot of it has to do with really just trying to ensure that your child has self-esteem. You know, I think that has a lot to do with it. You know, I mean, as with everything with teens, you know, keeping them in the right, you know, circle of friends and, um, you know, because I think, you know, they do know right from wrong. I think that a lot of times it's pressure and it's self-esteem and wanting to fit in, you know. Um, oh, it, it is a critical, it really is a critical piece about self-esteem. And I think it's one that parents need to understand. Your child could have amazing self-esteem in certain aspects of their life and not have it here. Exactly. Uh, and so, because uh, a lot of parents fall into the, well, my child's a great student. My child's made good choices. So my child will make good choices here too. And it's one of the biggest mistakes because we all know, adults, we all know extremely successful people in the corporate world who, when it comes to their personal relationships, awful, just awful. And you mm -hmm. sit there and you go, how could that be? They're so smart. They're so confident. Because self-confidence often shows up in one's life in different ways depending on the component of life you're looking at. That's very normal, and so it's nothing unusual. We need to understand as parents about our teens. And let's just say that you have a teen um, that is sexually active. I'm not talking young. I'm, I'm talking about, you know, 16, which is still young, um, but relatively speaking, um, you know, 16, 17, 18, and, you know, you know that they're sexually active. Um, you know, what are your feelings on um, discussing and providing birth control? You know, that's a very personal decision that families definitely need to sit down and, and look at and ask themselves all the questions of, a lot of times faith comes into this discussion. Right. So faith, safety, long-term, short-term, and how this discussion is going to be portrayed. Uh, you, you, every parent's fear is that if I give protection or discuss protection with my children, that this means now they're going to engage a lot more often. So you need to have a conversation in a way that, that talks about safety. For instance, earlier you brought up safer sex, safe sex. And... We all know nowadays there's no such thing. There just isn't. You can't have safe sex. What you can have is safer sex. And so you can have ways that you can be safer, but nothing guarantees safety. Right. And another thing that, to talk to parents about is when you use things like safe sex, one of the biggest mistakes we do is we talk about safety only from a point of disease and or pregnancy, disease, infection, and pregnancy. That's what we call safe. We make the huge mistake of saying, let's talk about safe sex. For instance, how are you going to know that you're comfortable with what you're doing with your partner and you're going to feel safe? How do you know that your partner feels safe? 
comfortable, trusting of you, what you're going to do with their body, and you're going to feel safe in that moment. All of that requires you to talk. And if you can't talk in great detail about what you're about to do with your body and your partner's body, how can you know you're ready if you can't even talk about it? And exactly. if you can't talk about and you can't talk about all of that, how is how are you gonna know both of you are really comfortable with what you're doing throughout it, or is one feeling pressure but too afraid to say they feel pressure because they don't want to disappoint you? And You've they're so afraid. To... They, they, you know, they think they're in love. Puppy love, you know, is it's love. Yes. And infatuation feels like love. Exactly. All of, all of that does. And so when you start to teach them to talk, it takes the, the skill level to such a greater level. Because you can say to them and say, do you think most of your peers can talk like this with their partner? Most teenagers say, no way. My friends who have been dating for six months, if they sat down with their boyfriend or girlfriend right now, they could not talk like this. Not this kind of detail verbally, openly. And you say, do you think there's something wrong with that? And they go, yes, there is. It's just nobody's ever asked us these questions before. Because had somebody, it would have made me realize, yeah, what is wrong here? If I can't talk to them, something is missing. And that's the coolest thing about working with teenagers. They you know, want to do the right our, thing. Our parents here have special needs children. A lot of them have difficulties with um, understanding um, sarcasm, innuendo, um, they they have difficulty reading um, other people's emotions. You know what? What? How would a a parent of a special needs child say with autism, Down syndrome? How would they explain sex to them? That's a great question. One, you have to know your child and what struggles and challenges in that communication, how that affects them in in, in this entire conversation. Because as you know, with every child, it's going to be different. You know, we could take four children, for instance, that have autism, and four different techniques are going to have to be applied for, to work with those four different children because one doesn't cover all autism, as every parent out there knows. You know, the biggest mistake is reading a book that says, if I do this with an autistic child, that'll work. It just, it's like other children. It doesn't right. work that simply. You have to figure that out and then really tailor your discussion to that strength or weakness so that it, they can connect with you. And here's where it becomes really important. We're big fans of when children start dating, you get together with your, your child's date parents. We're huge fans of this. Right. And very few people ever talk about this. So imagine that you go on the first date, and all the guideline is, okay, if you're going on your first date, all we ask is that we get to meet with their parents and, and the two of you. So the two of you and the four of us get to sit down together, and we make one promise. We won't lecture you. We won't yell at you. We definitely don't want to embarrass you. We just want to make sure we're all on the same page. And I'm sure you're mature enough to date. You're okay with that discussion, right? right and, so, you know, parents need to understand they're the parents. You know, it's funny because yeah. I have an older daughter who's 25, and, um, you know, I have one who's 17 now um, and 15. So, um, you know, the other day um, my daughter was, was, you know, talking about a boy, and, you know, my older daughter said, well, is he coming to the house? And I said, well, you know, I think they're going to meet at the movies. And she said, oh, no, 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 no. I had to have the, fa- the, the kid come to the house. You had to speak to the parents, you know. But it's true, and it doesn't have to be a formal sitting down, come over for coffee. It could just be, you know, hi, I'm Susie's mom. You know, I understand Susie's dating Johnny, and I just wanted to introduce myself. You know, just so that the kids know that the parents are, you know, on board. 
Yes. Well, and here's the neat thing about the parent discussion. In the DVD, one of, one of the people have told us one of their favorite parts of the DVD is when we talk about how to have the conversation with the date on the first date from the parent. Because in the, in the day, it was always assumed that the dad of the girl in a heterosexual dating situation, which, by the way, we don't assume that's the case, so you'll hear me use the word partner a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but in a heterosexual situation, it was assumed that when the boy came over to pick up the girl, the dad would scare the living daylights out of him <laughs> not to do anything with his daughter. He might even say, have you seen my gun rack over there? And just, you know, as silly as all this stuff sounds, people would do this. And if you ever touch my daughter. Well, what happens? The boy thinks the dad's a jerk. And the people think, well, yeah, but no, the boy's afraid of the, the dad. The guy who's going to try those things often isn't the one who's going to be afraid of daddy. He's just going to sit there and go, dad's a jerk. So what do I care what I do to his daughter? And you actually reversed the effect. What you should have done is create a relationship with the kid so that they want to respect you. And if they feel you respect them and they want to respect you back, they don't want to disappoint you because that's a positive relationship. Much stronger. And, and, you know, I think the conversation also has to be, um, you know, I had this with my daughter. You know, she says, oh, I'm going to go over to so-and-so's house. And um, I said, okay, well, why don't you give me the number and, you know, let me make sure there's going to be an adult in the house. And she's like, I can't believe you're going to embarrass me like that. And I said, I'd rather you be embarrassed than be in a situation you can't handle. (laughs) So, um, you know, know give me the number. And sure enough, the parents were there and everything was fine. But, you know, you just, with kids, you just have to, you know, like you just said with your sister, it's the worst nightmare and, you know, they have to, kids have to be aware because I think that teens in particular, they think it's not going to happen to them. Correct. And, you know, the irony of calling the other house is that nine out of ten times, the parent who's answering the phone saying, yes, we'll be here, and, and a great question to ask, by the way, is is there a parent on, in every area of the house where the kids will be? It's a great question to ask. Because if you get a parent home who's up in their bedroom watching movies, while they're downstairs and in the basement and alcohol now is being snuck in, even though the parents said, I won't allow alcohol, asking will there be a parent um, in, in the area the kids will be hanging out throughout the night is a great question. But what do the parents almost always do? You probably run into the same thing when we do it too, which is that parent usually goes, I think it's so great you're calling our house. I'm always surprised we don't hear from more parents. The, the parents love the fact that you're checking in because here's what they start to think. This is probably a good kid coming over. Right. So they like the, they like the fact that somebody's calling. It makes them feel better about the kids that are coming over. I've I've never called a parent and had them be like, "Are you seriously calling me? Are you seriously asking if I would allow alcohol at the party?" You don't get that. They're like, you know, no, I totally get why you're calling. I appreciate that. And what's neat about it is you can then get off the phone and say to your kid and go, you know, uh, they told me they call too. So it's good for you know, just probably good for you to know their parents call when they go somewhere. Right. And you know what and it also it, does? It also gives the other parent um, understands that you're approachable, and it makes yep. them more apt to call you if there's something going on, if there's a problem, if they're not yes. going to be home, they might call and say, "Listen, just so you know, we're going to be away this weekend." You know that type of thing. It just it just opens up the conversation. But um, let's just move on for you know for the sake of time now. Let's just say that something goes wrong, and um, you know what every parent fears happens. How do we deal with our children, um, our teens, to help them through that? 
Yeah, the key thing to understand is how difficult it is for your child to come to you. And so what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to start this with what you need to say before it goes wrong. And then I'm going to tell you what to say when you find out it goes wrong. The first thing is to go to your child now, and, and I'm going to jump, if you don't mind, into what you said. I'm going to share the biggest mistake parents make because it relates to this. Okay. And that is most parents, especially to their daughters and sometimes to their sons, sit down their child when they start to get to the dating age. And they make this exact statement to them. If anybody ever touches you, I'm going to kill them. Very right. common statement. Right. That all the time. Well, what happens is I say to students in the schools, have your parents said that? Overwhelmingly, yes. Will you go to them? No way. 1,000 students, 975 will say no way. Why? Because when my parents said they're going to kill them, I knew I couldn't go to my parents at that point. So the biggest mistake we make as parents is talking about our need for revenge when somebody hurts our child over the importance of us being there for our child. We, instead of saying we're going to kill them, what we should have said, we can all go home and do this with our teams tonight, is we can sit down our child and say, you know what, if anybody ever has or ever does sexually touch you against your will without your consent, I want you to know one thing, I am going to be here for you always, right. no matter what. And then if you've already said, I'm going to kill him, right there acknowledge that and go, I know I once said that if anybody touched you, I'd kill them. That was dumb. Because I don't ever want you to be afraid to come to me. And my focus is going to be you because you deserve that. You deserve my love, my support. And I need you to know, I want you to know that I'm going to be here for you. In fact, the worst thing that could ever happen as a parent is to think you needed me or could you use my help or support and you couldn't come to me. And that pattern of trust needs to start before that, and and not only for this type of situation. I mean, your your teen needs to know. I mean, I you know I've had four. Um, you know, these teens need to know that if they make a mistake, if a friend makes a mistake, um, that you know you're not going to overreact. You're not going to blow it out of proportion. You're not going to make it any worse for them. You're going to help them get through it, understand why they made the mistake. And, um, you know, it's really just building trust because if you don't start building that trust really early, by the time these kids are 16 or 17, you know, I, I, I think it would be very difficult to gain it. Absolutely. And everybody out there as parents who, who has more than one child knows that you get better at this. You typically get better because when your child hits 14, 15, and 16, and you're trying to establish that, and it's, you realize, oh, I should have done a better job of this when they were seven and eight, by the way, I reacted to stuff back then. And so if you're right. hearing it and, you, and your kids are still young, you have a great opportunity to do this now so that when they are 14, it's just there. You don't even have to think about the trust factor. It's just a reinforcement of it because you've done such a great job of that. And most of us catch on too late, honestly. And so we're, we're backtracking, which is still very important to do to rebuild it, but it would have been a lot easier had we done it sooner. Right. And I think, you know, also for the opposite sexes, I mean, there's always been this, you know, the dad sits down the son and the mom sits down the daughter. And, um, you know, my poor husband, he's got four daughters, um, you know, and we're very open about everything in this house. So, you know, half of the time he's just, you know, walking around shaking his head. But, um, you know, I said just a few weeks ago, I said, oh, you know, we have to sit down with, you know, so-and-so. And he's like, what are you, crazy? You know, you have to do that. And I said, no, 
you have to do that too. Right. You know, and I right. think parents need to understand that that it's not just you know pairing up the sexes to talk about it. Yeah. Well, here is the key: you should have it together and separate, both of you. Mm-hmm. So there are things that the two of you should sit together and say to that child. There are things mom should say alone. There are things dad should say alone. If you don't have a mom and a dad, well, then a male figure that they respect, a female figure that they respect, it does become important. It becomes vitally important. And, by the way, I know you had said, like, a lot of times families will say mom's going to talk to the daughter and dad's going to talk to the son. And a lot of families, mom does it all. (laughs) So dad says... I'm not oh, talking really? about this stuff. Really? Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> I'm kidding. So oh, yeah, right, okay, yeah. Uh, and or I'll get dads to go to me who know me, and they'll joke and go, Mike, when my son's 14, he's coming to your house for two weeks. You know, and he'll laugh while he says it, but yet he sort of means it. And I go, but that would defeat the purpose of everything. Because, and these people haven't seen my material, they just know what I do for work. And I go, the whole purpose is to make you the source. You, the parent, the source. And I think also making sex not be such a taboo also. Yes. You know, making it something that's normal in your conversation and, you know, letting, you know, your kids see that sex isn't just an act, that it's an, you know, it's an emotion, it's a bond, you know. It's it's a lot of... It's a wonderful, amazing gift. And that's really because too often parents jump to all the dangers of sex, which obviously we need to discuss. Nobody's disagreeing with that. But then make it sound bad. And it's incredibly contradictory because the team's looking at you going, I'm here because you did. So it it doesn't add up when you make it all sound bad. What you've got to be able to say is, yes, it's this amazing gift. It's this wonderful gift. But there's 12 steps on this ladder to get to the gift. And what we tend to do is we tend to make it sound like one step. Like it's either bad or good, and that's all there is to it. No, it's it's this gift. It can be amazing. But for it to be amazing, you need to take step one, step two, step three, step four, and all the steps. If you skip any one step, it could get awkward and bad and horrible. Right. So I mean, you're telling your kids you can't do it, it's bad, but yet, I mean, that's all you hear. Listen, we have some calls. I want to try to take some callers here. Sounds great. Area code 914, you're on the air. Welcome to the Coffee Clatch. Hi, Marianne. It's Elise here. Hey, how are I'm, you? I'm good. This is a very interesting conversation, but I do have um, some observations and some questions for our guest, if that's okay. Sure. Um, having two boys, both of whom are on the autism spectrum, um, we have had some very interesting conversations about sex. Um, and we've had some very interesting interactions, um, especially, you know, past the high school. But I wanted to make uh, some comments about how girls dress. Um, I think it is very important to teach our children that how you dress does not mean someone has a right to touch you, but that how you dress also says something about who you are. And that, and, and I think that's also something we need to teach our boys and our girls. If you're going to dress in Daisy Dukes and a bra like, uh, you know, the music artists and stuff, don't be surprised if you get a lot of unwanted negative kind of attention. If you want to be seen as a smart person then, and you want to be respected as a smart person, you know, wear a nicer pair of shorts or wear a, pot, you know, a nice T-shirt. How you present yourself to the public and how you want people to respect you. And the same thing for boys. You know, you don't wear your underwear sticking out with your butt hanging out. You know, that that's just something I've seen. It's why our high school has um, dress codes. 
Um, and then something else also, um, as far as like the high school is concerned, um, I think especially when it comes to high schools and, and guidance counselors and stuff, we start sex education very young in our district. We started yeah, here too. in fifth grade. Right. And they talk about uh, responsibility, and they do it in fifth grade, they do it in middle school. And then interestingly enough, they don't do it in the high school anymore. And That's it correct. Came, yeah, and then it came to an issue where my um, my younger son uh, liked a girl, and he would they would like high five each other in school. Now she just saw him as a friend, but he would hold on to her hand a little bit too long. Aww. And yeah, it was very sweet for him. And but we had to take him into the vice principal's office, and she had a talk with him about appropriate. You know that wasn't appropriate. I mean, they understand he's asked, you know has Aspergers. All the kids he grew up with they had Aspergers, and so he got the rules. Like rules are very important to my children. Once the boys understood the rules and how to how to interact and how to behave, there was no issue with them. The interesting thing is the girls didn't want to tell him to stop because they didn't want to hurt his feelings. Absolutely. You know, I've been in that situation the other way around. I had um, with my oldest child, there was a boy um, also on the spectrum. And um, he just, you know, my my daughter's just very kind. She's, you know, she's just kind to everyone. And yeah. um, he loved her. He he had his first crush. Yeah. And um, he would go up to her in the hall and he would kiss her and he would hug her. And, you know, she, you know, she said, I, I feel so bad. You know, he's so sweet. I don't want to hurt his feelings. And I said, well, I need to step in because I need to make sure that he knows boundaries. Yeah. And um, I actually spoke to the mother who was furious that I called her. But, um, you know, I, yeah, uh, well, but I think boundaries are very. Important. Yeah, this is an extremely important point. And that is that it goes back to the very beginning of our call today. And I said parents say things to daughters like be a, be a, a lady. This is a great example of where that goes wrong because a lot of young women think as a later, as a woman, I'm not supposed to disappoint a male or I'm not supposed to upset a male. And so what we should be saying is the opposite is be yourself. Use your voice. Never feel bad ever, ever, ever about disappointing somebody because you stood for your boundaries. That right. is well, healthy. That, that right. was and, and we don't I teach have... that. Yeah, but that was the discussion I had with the vice principal because it wasn't that this particular girl was, like, trying to overcompensate because she was a girl who didn't know how to say no. She didn't want to hurt his feelings because she knew he had Asperger's. And I said to the vice principal, it's very important you teach her that it's important to say no, especially if you're dealing with someone who has Asperger's because they don't get the subtlety that you may – they don't understand it. And she is entitled to to um to this to this, no matter who who's touching her. Um but one other point I wanted to make where you talked about We have one about, minute at least. Oh, I'm sorry. Um uh, where you talked about how, you know, you say don't tell your boys, Oh, can I give you um a kiss or something. There were years a few years ago, colleges have come up with a thing to tell young men you must ask before you go each step of the way. Yeah, actually, when I didn't say don't ask. I said do ask. I said I said oh, with the, okay. the college that we teach to ask. If you, I don't know when you got in on the call, but we're okay. all about asking. Right. We're all about verbally communicating. Consent oh, okay. first, 
That's all right, all right. I misunderstood yep. what you said. Oh yeah. no, no. He was saying, yeah. you know, that that's what has to be taught. Actually, that's what he teaches at the um, at when he speaks. Is that you know the the, the boys need to ask, um, or the girls need to ask. But right. um, Mike, you know, I really want to uh, thank you for coming. I mean, I think that really what it comes down to is um, gaining that respect for your child and it is respecting your child and gaining that trust but um also you know before we go off the air i just want to say i know in our district here in our area um the special um the sex education teachers actually go deeper they go into what happens at parties when there's drinking and things get out of hand and one thing that they do is they give their cell phone numbers and they say to the kids listen if you're in a bad situation and you're not comfortable calling your parent, you can always call me. There's always an adult that will come and get you and help you. How do you feel about that? I loved it. Well, here, I love it. There's only one problem, and it's a major problem. Uh, it's a legal problem, and that is that in almost every state in the United States, a teacher is a mandated reporter. That right. means that if that teacher finds out about the legal activity of a minor, they must legally report it. If they don't say that to the teenager before they give out the phone number and then something comes up that they have to report, the teenager's trust has been betrayed. Oh, no, they, they, they make that very, very clear. Yeah, that's really, really important that if you call me and I find illegal activity or that right. I'm going to have to report it. If they're doing that, oh, that's, absolutely. then I think that's a great gift because I've known the other side. I've seen it where teachers will say, I'm always here for you. Student comes forward and now to report the situation student feels absolutely betrayed. No, they, so they, they, they were told that, you know, if you're at a party, if you need, you know, if, you're, if your ride has been drinking, um, you know, that, you know, because a lot of times I think these teens need a buffer, you know, unfortunately, if yeah. they don't have that, that type of relationship. It's almost like it's just a buffer to help, uh, you know, <laughs> break the blow to some parents. But, um, well, we do, you know, we I, recommend that the local crisis center's phone numbers are always given to the students also mm-hmm. because that's a totally confidential source that's available 24-7, who they don't know. And sometimes that's even more comfortable because when they don't know you, there's no judgment of somebody you know. That's great. Well, Mike, I thank you so much for joining us. Uh, This is going to help a lot of parents, and this is a conversation parents need to have. The the parents need to have the conversation among themselves, and then they need to start making it a part of their daily conversations, not the sit-down. Well, thank you for having us on. And feel free to let the parents know that if they have more questions, we're available at date safeproject.org. That's you're going on a date, you want to feel safe, and you don't want to feel like it's a project. Datesafeproject.org. We have a whole parent section. There's free videos on there. There's articles, lots of resources, uh, and they can always even contact us with questions. Terrific. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Before we go off the air, I have a couple of announcements. Sunday, Michael Bolcoats. He is the multi-platinum um, um, music producer. He is the founder of the Autistic um, Children's Foundation, and uh, he is just the coolest guy you're ever going to meet. He is my guest Sunday night. Um, Dana Commandatory is joining the Coffee Clutch. Um, She will be debuting, I think the date is June 27th, Denise Goldberg who is the founder of Special Ed um, Education Advisor, is also joining the Coffee Clatch. She is going to be an amazing addition to the team. Um, and um, we have some incredible guests coming up. Please go to our website, www.thecoffeeclatch.com, and uh, see everything that's going on. Thank you for joining us today. It's Coffee Clatch. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.